In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. I hope everybody's having a beautiful day. I have an incredible show for you with an incredible individual who has an incredible service slash product slash game changer. I would love to introduce to all of you, ladies and gentlemen, it is both an honor and a privilege to introduce to you a remarkable individual whose life and career have been a testament to dedication, innovation, and transformative leadership. Christian is not just an experienced leader, but a lifelong learner, a strategic change agent, and a development manager with a global footprint in industries ranging from edtech to fintech. His journey has seen him navigate the intricate worlds of software development, agile transformation, and international business with unwavering commitment. His impact on the people, products, and processes he engages with is nothing short of extraordinary. With his exceptional interpersonal skills, he effortlessly bridges gaps between organizations and cultivates collaborative environments that drive success. Christian's dedication and exacting standards serve as a beacon, motivating and challenging individuals to strive for excellence and deliver tangible results in the realm of corporate strategy implementations. With specialties spanning software development, organizational growth, agile methodologies, and so much more, he's a true visionary who embodies the spirit of innovation. In a world where knowledge sharing and learning are becoming increasingly pivotal, Christian's work with Equalio, the world's most innovative online video learning platform, is a testament to his commitment to making learning accessible, easy, and effective for all. His goal is clear, to empower organizations and individuals to reach new heights through the power of knowledge. Ladies and gentlemen, Christian's journey is one of inspiration, innovation, and unwavering dedication. To the betterment of organizations and society as a whole, it is with great anticipation that we delve into the insights and wisdom he has to share with us today. Christian, thank you so much for being here. And thank you so much for having me. I am really, really impressed by your introduction. I should, I think I'll steal that if you can just write it to me and send it as an of email. Of course. Because this is even better than anything I can do. This is so cool. And thank you very much <laughs> because it, it 
helping other people performing better. That is one of the most important things you can do as a person, as a leader, as anything. And this is where we try to position ourselves with our video learning platform, because to be honest, YouTube is here to stay. Videos are here to stay. Uh, there are a few drawbacks and I can come back to them later. But right now, what we see is the way that people are learning is maybe not the right one, because how many of you have really learned something in a 45 minute session in school? And the only reason that it's 45 minutes is because the teacher needs a break and a fresh cup of coffee. So what we see is that the, the advances of videos, how people are using, I don't, if I go something, I go, I Google it, I go to Wikipedia. If I need to see how do I do things, then I go to YouTube. And if I'm lucky, and most cases I am, somebody will have had the problem and take care to help that peers in, how do I fix this coffee machine? How do I prevent my my weed whacker contact on to be uh, ruined because I'm using it too hard or whatever? And all these nuggets of, of knowledge are there for the taking. And this is where we fit in because we believe that it should be just as easy as YouTube to do training, no matter if it's for, let's say, corporate purposes, it's, if it's for nonprofit, NGO, or it's just because I really like this, but I hate some of the drawbacks of YouTube or I want to control my content completely. And this is where we come in. I think that was a, that was a, uh, uh, the short introduction. <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating. Of what it, we're doing here. May, let's, let's just take it from the top. Obviously, we've, you've identified there being a problem with the way an educa education has been done for so long. I think as a society, we've really tried to do as best. Well, I, I like to think that we had great intentions and we've done the best we've could with what we've had, but we're in transformative times and you're right. The world, the landscape of education is changing rapidly and the product and service that you have right now really allow people to learn in ways that are, that are new to us. And it allows for rapid learning. Maybe you can expand on that a little bit more and just kind of take it from the top. Yeah. And I think um, one of the game changers is like this one because mm -hmm. Nowadays, everybody carries their phone around them. It doesn't matter if you're in Africa, the US, Thailand, everybody have a cell phone. And in most cases, it's even able to play videos. And in very often, you also find it connected directly to the mobile internet. And that means that instead of having to learn everything upfront, you learn it when you need it. Because you go out there, there might be a QR code you can scan on the machine or a QR code to scan on the product that you're receiving. And then instead of spending time learning a lot of stuff, one month, two months, a year before you may need it, then you will learn how to learn and, and utilize, for instance, a platform like ours or general QR codes and things like that. And then you can learn that little piece of information you need to fulfill the problem you have in front of you or the task you have in front of you. And this is where I see uh, the, the, the main benefits of changing the way we're learning. Because why should I sit down? Let's say I'm, I'm being onboarded to a new company. Why should, should I sit down and spend, let's say, 24 hours in the first month learning stuff I may never need? Yeah. But if I learn how to find, you know, how do I fill out my travel expenses? I'm never going to travel, so why should I spend time on that? But then eventually after, after, let's say a period of, 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 of employment, I need to go traveling. And then there's a short video from the, from the CFOs telling you, this is how you fill it out. 
This is the copy of the expenses. You must upload them here, blah, blah, blah. And it's so easy. And I learned it just when I need it, when I'm sitting with a spreadsheet in front of me and I have the five uh, pictures of my receipts and I just need to upload them to, you know, the corporate uh, team's uh, folder for travel expenses. And that's it. And then I learn it when I need it. It's and this is, uh, yeah, sorry, Did you, no, have you heard about the guy? Called, have you heard about the guy called Ebbinghaus? No, please tell me. Uh, he uh, he investigated, you know, how people they forget things they learn. He's a really smart guy, and he made some very basic experiments. And he said, you know, if you don't, if you sit down and learn something, and you don't use it, roughly speaking, within the next two weeks, you might as well not have learned it because it's gone. So he has a curve that is sliding very much down uh, as a function of time. And this is where, again, the philosophy of videos and especially micro videos, micro learning videos that we are sort of promoting as the right way to do it is so good because you don't need the blah, blah, blah introduction. You don't need the blah, blah, blah sub introduction. We simply go in and say, you're now supposed to do a travel expense report. Here's a spreadsheet. Watch first video on the spreadsheet. Watch second video on the upload. And if you have any special things about currency because you've been to Mexico or Europe or whatever, see video number three on, on currencies. If you have any problems or questions, click the feedback button and I will do my best to help you. You see, this was like maybe I didn't take time, but this was like maybe 20 seconds from the CFO who tells you how to do the stuff. And then he has a short intro video and then he has this is how you open the spreadsheet. This is how you upload the doc documents. And if you have some currency stuff, put it in here. And I haven't I don't need to learn it until I'm sitting with an expense report that I need to fill out. It blows my mind in so many ways. It, it, so much of the problems, it seems to me, in large corporations is the chain of communication. It's like that game of telephone. If I tell you something and you tell someone something and they tell someone oh, something, yeah. by the time it gets down the line, it's so polluted that it might not even be the same message. And there's so much the emotional charge that comes with that. What a beautiful way to streamline it and have the person at the top say exactly what they mean. And I... Actually, I'm happy that you mentioned telephone because otherwise I would have done it. <laughs> because <laughs> this is this is, yeah, but it's true. It's it's like yeah. it's one of the, the the examples we use why this is so effective. Because first of all, you get the message from me. That that's one thing. There are no distortions. There's no A to B, B to C, C to D, etc. And then it's completely different. I'll, I'll tell you a story about this in, in a few seconds. Yeah. Um, and it also means that I'm being humanized and I'm being personalized. Mm. I am bringing myself into your daily training. This is the CFO. Yes, he might be sitting in a blue dress shirt like me, but he's actually in our application. I can send a message. I can record a video directly from my cell phone. Maybe not so interesting for the CFO, but if it's a, you know, something else, a factory, well, it doesn't look like this in my factory. And I can send back a screenshot and say, hey, I'm sorry, I don't understand what this is all about. It pops into his mailbox. Hey, Christian did a feedback on your travel expense report course. And I look at it and say, oh, Christian, he's a stupid idiot. He cannot see that there's a big button say submit. Okay, I'll send it nicely to him, Christian. Please check it. There should be a new spreadsheet. There should be a submit button. And then I see it and say, oh, sorry, you're right. In other cases, it might be, oh, my God, he's right. I forgot to do it. So he sits back, he finds the course, and then by himself, because we are also empowering the CFO with our approach. 
So we are empowering him to just replace video number two because he forgot to, 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 to point to the big submit button. And then he changes the video. And he might even go so far to go on the corporate internet and say, hey, guys, I made a small update of the expense report, uh, Christian. And then I mentioned and I'm pulled into the learning and knowledge uh, dissemination inside the corporation. Hey, Christian helped me and pointed out that I should uh, do this. So there's a new version out. So the next time you do spreadsheet or uh, travel expense report, that's so this way you're sort of pulling people into the training and you're humanizing the CFO. He's really the person. And then suddenly, again, and then we go back, especially when you're doing like service or, or factory work, you have people out there on the floor, on the shop floor, on the production lines. They say, I'm scanning this course for access to this factory. I come into the factory and the layout is completely different. And then I send it back to my team lead and my team lead, he says, yes, you're right. And the team lead, he records a video and sends it to the guy who's responsible for this and say, can you please add this to this or make sure that the people from our factory location, they're getting this version of the course because it shows our access route and this is completely different from what you show. So you can get personalized content. You can have content created by the people out there in the front line. And you have almost zero bureaucracy, zero red tape. And I'm not going to say this so loud, but zero HR and L&D people who are making things go longer. Yes, it will be better. Yes, there will be more didactic elements. But very often, you just need these 30, sec 30 seconds saying, when you're in this factory, the rooms are here, and you need to use this lock. And it's different. It doesn't go with your key card. But the code is 12345. <laughs> so that's it. That, that's really that's really where we we want to get it out there so that people are part of the learning and that you're putting it in and you have a cycle um, and you have a cycle of of, of uh, content creation to content uh, distribution basically being the upload time from your cell phone after you stop recording your video and then a little processing and a replication and then somebody either hits the distribute button or the update button and that's it and then everybody in the whole world are getting you know the new version you know, my favorite part so far is the ability to humanize the relationship between the people at the top and the people at the bottom. When you look at a multinational corporation, sometimes it's easy, like I, I, as a UPS driver for a long time, you know, it's very easy for people who work at the top of the food chain 5,000 miles away to look at an employee and see them as a number. You know, it's really easy to get rid of a number when the number is not working. But when you as when you have a direct connection between the people at the top and the person, you can identify real problems and solve them right there. But and I love that. I, I think it's the best, one of the most beautiful things, and I look forward to see that in the future. But there's a lot of people that hide behind that minutia right there. That they, they maybe they don't want that connection. You know, I don't. It just seems to me like there's people that hide behind the fact that there's so much in between right there. Is that is that like a? Do you see what I'm saying there? Yep, yep. I, and, and this is <laughs> you this guys is, are awesome, but a lot of people may not be. No, and and this is also why very often when we talk to customers, to be, you know, to be honest, I'm I'm honest most of the time. But when people say to be honest, you should you know really worry. Yeah, always. Uh, but no, I would like say what our approach is. We would like to cater for the small and medium-sized enterprises. Love it. And the and the reason we do that is, first of all, they have the same needs as the, as the big companies, 
but they don't know do the admin department in, as you said, a central location, 3000 miles away from everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't have the, the time to sit down and learn how to use an advanced training delivery or knowledge management system or whatever, but all of them, they have their cell phone. All of them, they have a screen and they can do screen recording from the need to do that. And that means that without buying into tens of thousands, or maybe not dollars, but let's say two, three thousand dollars worth of equipment, etc., you can actually start creating some stuff. It is not perfect. It is not digital, HD, whatever you like to say, but it works for me and it shows how things are. And I can get it out there as a, at a reasonable cost where we're talking tens, twenties, thirties dollars per month for a subscription-based service like ours, instead of maybe $100, two, three, four hundred dollars a month, or maybe even thousands. So we're making it accessible for the small and medium. They don't have to invest in a lot of hardware stuff. You know, do you have a phone? You can get started. Do you have a do you have a you know do, do, do you have a computer where you can create screen recordings directly from? You can get started. Do you want to make it better? Sure, you can find someone to help you, but for a few dollars extra, you might find the local person, the, the local video editing guy, and he can, you know, for, you know, you said you sent him the video, he puts in a little starter or header, he do a little noise reduction because there was some stuff, and then he might charge you, let's say, $100 per, and then you have something that is much better, and you might even be able to share it with your extended enterprise, because you want to help your employees, you want to help your customers, you want to help your partners, and very often it's the same content. But why should I have three systems for that when it's basically three good videos and they can be reapplied in all the cases you have? And this is uh, some of the some of the messages. And this is why, going back to your original question about the big company, very often in the big companies, you have so many screens in front of the person who needs to either make all the communication or responsible for the products and the internal front office user, uh, frontline user, the guy who's sitting taking the cost of complaints or the service uh, person who's out there, you know, repairing or changing the spots. And you have like two, three, four, five layers. Now, with this application or the way we're doing it, the guy who's the subject matter expert or the boss or the global CEO, he can actually communicate directly to each person in the organization and also in this way humanize the communication and making make him assess, accessible because hey i'm christian i'm the chief product officer you call you but if there's something you don't like or something you want to ask about hit this feedback button and clearly if i get ten thousand of these a year i will probably hire an assistant to you know filter them and do stuff but still i'm accessible and i will maybe in the next town hall meeting uh, when i'm coming to 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 germany in frankfurt I will say, and it's really cool to see those guys here in Frankfurt helping out. And just to mention a few, I've received comments on this and that from 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 Monica and Andreas, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And in this way, you're sort of tying the complete image into one, because you're connecting the dots from the top to the frontline workers, and you're recognizing that a corporate has sort of a common base of knowledge they need to share. Yeah. It, it... It makes it so much more. It's, it appears to me that it is increasing the ability for the small and medium person or company to really compete with the large corporations. And it's it's fascinating to me because there's so much creativity. There's so much talent at that level that either gets consumed by the bigger corporations or they hit a wall and they can't compete because of money. And this is gonna this is this I think 
this type of innovation is innovation that leads to further innovation. And it's really fun yes. to watch and see happening. And this is, this is what we tend to forget is that, yes, we have the Fortune 500 companies and everything, and they're really pulling a lot. They're doing a lot for sure. both their, their shareholders, their employees, society. They bring great products we want to buy, even if we don't need them, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but the point is that, you know, the next thing comes from somewhere else. And especially like in a country like Denmark and also a lot in the US, there's a high number of small and medium-sized enterprises who are both employing a lot of people who are have the training need and the reskilling. One of my colleagues, John, he's a sales associate in the US. He, he wrote a piece uh, a month or two ago about we're try you're trying to build a new uh, factory for chips manufacturing somewhere in the Midwest. Uh, and there are no skilled people to build a factory. We're not even talking about the production, but they have some unemployed people, people there, but they don't have the right skills. Certainly for the US and also for Denmark, one of the biggest challenges if in, the, in the coming years is actually taking the persons who have one skill set and then relatively cheap and fast change or add new skills to them so they might be able to build part of an uh, integrated circuit factory instead of being, let's say, a farmer or a, uh, uh, a factory worker. So reskilling, and this is again where we would we would be able to make it relatively cheap for a company to reskill or train the people coming in, simply because we're affordable and we're easy to use. You don't have to set up a big stuff. You don't have to hire an HR consultant or something else. It's like, you know your business. Can you work? I don't know. Actually, I, we use it ourselves in a, on a farm. I have, I'm a farmer as well, in addition to making software. And one of our suppliers, they um, they have a weed wagger, weed wagger, not weed like smoking, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it broke the first time, and I just handed it in to repair, and I got it back the next day. And then uh, next week, it was broke again. And then when I handed it in, I was waiting in the shop because I, I was like, I wanted to get it back on the farm so it could start, you know whacking the weed right. um yeah sorry <laughs> you know your 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 it's always a smile here right um, <laughs> yeah of course and then uh, the guy from the from from the from the shop uh, from, from the from the from the maintenance shop he came in and said you know what christian please note that this contact is it's not really a contact it's a switch you know the other places you need you put it in the safety handle and the regulator but this switch this is a this is a contact you need to click 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 and it turns out that this company they probably use a too soft component for turning the, the the device on and off and that's why it breaks and it has broken for us twice it's broken for some of the other customers as well and that means that now i simply took my cell phone camera i created a small video and then i put it on a website and now i'm sharing it with the people working on a farm so that when you're using this tool this is a soft switch it's an it, it's it's not a handle you need to press in like you do on the other things this one has to be soft and that means now i can see did the people see it and if it's broken and they saw it i can say this is not my responsibility you will be deducted if they haven't seen it that's my fault because i forgot to invite them to learn how to use that properly so this way you're also sort of sharing knowledge you're making clear who has seen what where can you expect a behavior or similar in a very easy way and this is what the small and medium sized companies they need i need to retrain people to work in the kitchen they never worked in a kitchen before 
okay, I can pull in standard videos from the US uh, federal authorities on how to wash your hands, how to do basic hygiene in a kitchen, etc. And in addition to this, I can create my own standard operating procedures simply by filming short videos from my phone. And, and this is the example I had here with the farm. I think I did two takes. Uh, one of them was crappy because we forgot to close the door. So we got some sound, you know, wind noise in the background. Then we did another one and bang, 52 seconds of instruction videos made in five minutes. And the cost, I had to pay my son dinner. Right. No, I had to invite him for dinner that night because he was here. So he had to, so, you know, it's, it's cheap and effective. It is cheap and effective. It's way, in some ways, it's revel. I can see a model like this being revolutionizing education in a way. Like the, this idea that you got to go somewhere and get a certificate from an institution that you pay, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars sometimes to. You know, why not have lived experience and learn as you go? You may not get a cool certificate, but you can learn everything you need to know and arguably have the lived experience to go with it to truly become an expert in that field. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And this is this is also what we see some of our customers, they do. Um, I'll get back to this one of our U.S. Yeah. customers based in Georgia. But let me, let me get back to that. Just, you know, we there are so many things. And, and, and I really feel that we, we can contribute a lot to making it easier and at the same time also making people perform better. Because when you perform better in your job, you smile a little more. And when you come back home, you have a, you've had a reasonable good day or a really good day. Whereas when you, you know, when things don't work out or the, the, the customers are complaining, then you also, you're a little, or when you come home and the kids and the, the wife and everything, they will also, you know, so if, if people there are success, it spreads and they're happy. This is part of our sort of mission that, that is to make it easy for people to, to absorb the knowledge when they need it, where they need it. So the telephone game, I wanted just to, to roll back to that one yeah, because that's uh, I have a real life example of that. Okay. Many, many years ago, maybe not so many, but maybe about 10, uh, 10 years ago, I was working as the development manager in a big uh, fintech software company. And I was responsible for the code quality, you know, how the quality the code looked, how it was written, how it was tested and everything. And we spent some time I'm, you know, communicating how you should do things, the different procedures. And so then suddenly my colleague, incidentally also called Christian, he came and said, hey, Christian, we can see that there are some uh, <coughs> some deficiencies. We have many, uh, many, uh, many errors in this part of the application. There are both many errors. There are many uh, errors coming back. That's what you don't want. That's why you do automated testing. And we don't really know it, understand it because this team used is normally the most stable one. They write the most solid code. They have few errors from the customers. They have few regressions and everything. But suddenly it peaked. Yes. So um, Christian and Christian, that sounds more, more like you know a, a lawyer company or something like that. Yeah, totally. Uh, we started looking a little at the numbers. We started looking a little at the people, and then we we had a chat with the with the with the people sitting in the in the team, and the team was geographically distributed with around half in Denmark, Copenhagen, and half in Ukraine, Kiev. And there was a tendency that most people were hired in Kiev. Availability, pricing, you know how that also worked for a global company, you know. Maybe maybe better two in Kiev than one in Copenhagen, but uh, that's okay. 
And then when we talk to the people in Kiev uh, traveling there, it turns out that the main root cause it was simply that A started, was instructed by someone experienced from the Copenhagen team, then B started, and he was instructed by the the person who had most time, that was A, who just started three months earlier. Then C started, instructed by B, D started, instructed by C, and suddenly we could see that the learning that Delta, the, the D guy, got was simply not correct. So they simply, they, they learned not from the smartest guy or the most experienced guy or the subject matter expert, but they learned from the guy who started three months before them. And we didn't see it with, with B because that was just one person. It may have started with C, but we couldn't detect it. But with D, suddenly you had like three people out of eight who were working incorrectly. And then we could see the impact on the final product that reached our customers. And this was the classic telephone game. So instead yeah. of having one of the senior person, the subject matter expert or the team lead or the most senior guy doing these recordings and sharing them with A, and then when B came, he got the same recording. He heard the same person. He heard exactly the same things. Everybody was, it was not him who had to listen to the guy who started before him. It was not him who had to read the PowerPoint presentation by himself from the from the from the corporate internet. No, it was actually the guy sitting in Copenhagen who's heading up this, or who's recognized as the expert in our area, and he's telling me how, how should I go around the coding, how should I go around the processes, how do I need to structure my test, and it's the same stuff A, B, C, and D they would get, and at the same time as we talked about earlier, suddenly the subject matter expert is reachable. He's a person they more or less feel connected to. They have watched him on these, let's say, 15 minutes of video as introduction, and they meet him in the stand-up meetings every day on Teams, and they now can reach out to him if there's something they don't feel about. They're comfortable because listening to a person like like people are listening to me now, you know, I, I look reasonable friendly. I seem to be open towards questions, etc. So if I have a question or if there's something I don't understand, I would probably feel okay by sending it to him or asking him or sending a screenshot and saying, I'm not sure about this code is not covered by the stuff I learned in the 15 minutes intro videos you, you did. So how should this be covered? And sometimes you get a little answer, may check video number three in the second course, or maybe you get, yeah, that's a good point. Um, let me just create a fifth video to the second course instead, because this is really worth it. So he creates the fifth video. And as I said before, with the, CEO or whatever, but now the subject matter expert in Copenhagen, he could write, oh, and have updated this stuff and thank you to Dimitri in Kiev because he made me aware that it was worth putting this in as a case. And that's maybe 60 seconds. And then suddenly the whole team will learn the new way of doing it and they can discuss it, they can feedback and everything, but it's common knowledge and it's easy to, to update and change. So that's a real life story. It's fascinating to me. And on some levels, it speaks to the idea of the degradation of information, but it also speaks to the idea of exact repeatability. When you can repeat something exactly, it's beautiful. But might might that same thing happen in the long run? Like right now, someone can contact you and you can you can make changes to it because you 
may be the expert that has the ability to repeat exactly. But what happens when you're gone? Does, does, this, does this exact repeatability become a problem? Mm, it depends a little on the organization. Clearly, okay. I, I cannot be, re- that's not true because right. I can be replaced by Synesthesia Colossian, the, you know, an avatar. I can right. record my yes. own avatar, and then if people want to have me saying the same, they can do that. No, what would happen, or what hopefully would happen, is that haven't you tried those products? I've seen you them. Really I haven't tried them, them yet, though. I will. But they they're awesome. Still with some limitations, but sure. very interesting. And we and we and we do what they don't do, because they create the video and they can distribute it to one person. We can pull in the videos from Synthesia and Colossian and and Eli, which is another of our partners, and then we can distribute them. Like any other training so you have the ai generated videos from you know text to video and then you add the questions and stuff and then we can sort of monitor it it's very easy but uh, i haven't found out that that is a main gap in that complete story that is that they're not able to distribute in the way we do um going back to your question yes it will require that the organization says this is part of our knowledge and now that christian is gone we will put it over to uh, to susan so Susan will take over and she will, as times go, she might say, oh, I create a completely new set, but she remains, she, she will be the owner of the channel. You might have a channel for this area, for this team, and then she will be taking them over and, and clearly she will also replace my videos because now they are obsolete or they're so much right. out of sync that you'll just record a new one. But she does not have to ask her manager for a, $1,500 budget for a short video recording and editing. She simply says, you know, boss, is it okay that I spend three hours just updating with the newest stuff? We have now moved from, I don't know, Visual Studio as a main uh, development environment to Rider from JetBrains. So I think it's fine if we, we, we make the videos look a little like the new people will experience and he will say, yeah, sure, as long as blah, blah, blah. And then you have things done in three hours, updated the new version of your code editor and everything, development environment. And it's done. But it does require that people understand that when you're a subject matter expert, that part of it is to build, how to say in science, you stand on the shoulders of others. Uh, yeah, yes. You should not reinvent the wheel. You should say, this is sort of the body of knowledge we have here in the company. It was originally cr- created by Christian and then was maintained by Susan. And now it's over by, uh, by Marianne or whatever. But in this way, you know, it's a common one, and that's one who's sort of overall responsible, but he can also accept, or she can also accept contribution from the front line. Mm-hmm. This guy is sitting there and saying, oh, I just saw that you could enter this um, tool directly into your right environment. This is how you do it. And then he's create the video, send it to, to, to Susan, and she says, yes, this is cool. I'll add it on as a tips and tricks or the FAQ, yeah. how can I make blah, blah, blah. And then again, he is involved. He's involved in the learning and the progress of his, himself and his colleagues. And this is, uh, again, it's a cultural mindset. Yes. And well, to be honest, the larger the company, the less this mindset seems to be working. Yep. Um, the... There's something to be said about shared goals and shared sacrifice. And when something gets so big, the division of labor seems to be something that gets in the way of of making something both qualitative, efficient, and effective. There's like there's there's a gap in there somewhere when things get too big, it seems like. 
You know, let me ask you this question. In, in the world of ed tech and fintech, how do you see the balance between technological innovation and educational impact? Um, I think technological innovation is part of what is making things change, clearly. Uh, and very often the impact is not so obvious in the beginning meaning that you have a little knowledge that a few people they share and they say this might work out and then you come to the point where the rest of the world or the company should do the same and and very often going from the small few people who are you know knowledge they know everything about it and they need to share with the rest of the company uh, when you utilize ed tech in a in a lightweight way like we do you can do the first wave very easily and then you might want to say, okay, put it back into the more traditional training program, onboarding programs, etc. But you need to make sure that the technology has been like verified by the team here. And then you're sending it out in a way where you can measure the impact in other areas. Because um, I was looking at, you know, I think Gardner Group, they have this technology fad curve. Hey, everybody's talking about this. And then they plow down into the deep ravine of depression and then so many things come up and then five years later it's mainstream and everybody talks about it and this is where a lot of new technologies they don't survive the drop because you haven't found the use for it but utilizing edtech to take the three examples that you have done here and saying this is how we apply it in our domain or in our company or in our software product and then quickly disseminating it out without having to go through all the motions of putting it into a complete program and 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 teaching everything about it, but but getting it out there now, in maybe in three months or six months or twelve months, I think that will have the ability to to test new technologies, new inventions much faster, <coughs> because you can you can then at least with what would you do at your polio, we can measure okay. Which department, the people who, who who took the training or who entered the discussion, which department did they come from? Which areas did they come from? Oh, strange that nobody in the area on the front-end development team, how come they didn't look into the findings from these guys who did the initial work? And then you can go in and ask them, say, don't you think that generative AI will have an impact on the front-end? And if they say no, I would be a little surprised, but then I can ask them, why not? So, so, so I can see the you can say the combination of, of, of technological advances and advances in, in how we distribute knowledge through through the op opportunities in in updated edtech. I can see how that can work together to shorten some of the cycles. Again, if you have the mindset that that is important for your organization. And very often, uh, I've been working in organizations like that as well. You had some really smart guys here who tried a lot of things. But it never got out to the organization because it was just made by those smart guys who were sitting in a room, you know, with grapes, and uh, you could almost see was this guy Doc Hollywell from 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 Back to the Future coming out with hair like this. <laughs> so so sharing and, and sharing, you know, sharing yeah. knowledge. That's again one of the core values of, of what we do here, because we believe that if I take value. Sorry, not not value. If I take if I take knowledge and keep it for myself and only share it with the people I like to share it with, I might get rich. I might get you know 
seen as a, a pharaoh or a, what do you call that? A light oracle. 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 Yeah. But if I share it openly and people are feeding back to me, then I have a more open discussion and I may reach more people. And then as you asked about the technology and edtech, and suddenly we see this going out to the whole organization in two weeks instead of three years, two weeks instead of a year. Um, and this is uh, this could be what is giving your company the competitive edge because the guys in the front office who were at front end development who asked, why don't you think this will help you make any changes? By getting the why question, they thought, yeah, why not? And suddenly it turns out that, oh, now we can configure this by people simply typing into a chat GTP like prompt, which is running our own model, etc., that is fed by all the data everybody else has put into this customer's particular system. So they have their own private model and they can now communicate with it in the front end through a chat GTP interface. As an example. Um, it's my it's mind blowing to me. It, it it speaks to the idea of the rapid rapid innovation that not only has been happening, but is probably going to continue to to quickly happen. As a uh, as a strategic change agent, what role does philosophy play in guiding your approach to organizational transformation? I think Plato is the best example here. Love it uh, because. One of the things that I took from my high school, that was the cave myth. Are you aware of that one? I, of course. It's hard to go back in the cave once you get out, though. Exactly. <laughs> it's impossible. Uh, and, and the thing is, like, when you use this as part of the basis for what you're doing, then by enlightening them, roughly speaking, you know, turn their head and yeah. behind them instead of looking at the shadows in front of them, then you have made them bigger persons, you have transformed them. Yeah. And this is where I see philosophy impacting training, because if I'm yet accessible by people saying, you know, scan a QR code, open the link, or what's your cell number? And then I'm typing in the cell number, and then they get the training on how to do this and that. This is a way of moving them forward. So using that image, sitting in the cave, Maybe not scanning a QR code with fire in the background, but still the idea is that they're opening their eyes and they're learning in a fast way. And again, you don't sign up for anything because it's just a video. It's shown on your device, at least using a context. Um, and it's easy to consume. And I think ease of getting the knowledge when you need it, where you need it. This is some of the, 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 the elements where the philosophy of, for instance, the cave myth makes sense because you're enlightening people, not by taking them through nine years of school from eight to 2 p.m., having 45 minutes lesson with maybe a 30 minutes lunch break, but you're teaching them when they need it. And very often when they need it, it also means they understand why they need it. And if you in training, and learning and education, if, if, if the learner understands the why, the motivation for learning is much higher. So if you're happy just sitting, looking at the shadows in front of you, and you don't want to know, is there maybe something behind me? We cannot help you so much. Then you need, you know, a whip or maybe a <laughs> carrot or something. 
something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but this is this is quick. When when people see the why, I can see it with my own kids. If there's something they want to learn, they go to to they Google it, they look at Wikipedia, they look at images, they might even find some videos on YouTube. And suddenly you have this young person, older person, who suddenly knows everything about a certain type of dinosaurs. Yeah. And when you go into the classroom and your biology or history teacher is talking about evolution, dinosaurs, the big catastrophe 65 million years ago, etc., blah, blah, blah. You'll say, yeah, but that's not true because this dinosaur actually managed to survive for at least five million years longer because it was smaller. It was not so blah, blah, blah. And the teacher said, no, 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 that's not right. Yeah. Because the teacher didn't know. Because the teacher just, you know, had the standard curriculum, read a little about it, maybe watched the National Geographic uh, movie where they're digging out something uh, in, in, in Argentina or Argentina or wherever. But the, this, this young person, she actually read everything on the internet on that particular type of dinosaur. And, and, and this is also a little philosophical because the role of the teacher is changing a lot right now because instead of being the smartest person in the room, which used to be the case, he or she is now more going to work as a facilitator. And this is exactly where, for instance, something like what we do with video is, is going to support it. Because what you're telling them is, before you come to class, see this four or five videos. And they can be short public domain YouTube videos. It could be something the teachers created themselves. But the fact part of learning is something people can do at their own pace when they have time and want to do it. And then in the classroom, they would actually spend time looking into what if. Can you draw a landscape where the dinosaurs are roaming or something like that? Um, what would be the challenge for the, what are they feeding on? Okay, you forgot to put in some mammals. How big are the mammals compared to those dinosaurs? And then suddenly you can start discussing and putting the facts into context. Whereas previously we spent a lot of time on facts and methods, but this is something you can now ask them to prepare up front. And then hopefully most kids in the classroom before they come there will know that, Dinosaurs were big, they needed sun, they ate this and that. And by the way, most of them died 65 million years ago, probably through a big meteor or whatever you call it, who hit something in, in, in Mexico. And, and you don't need to spend time on that because these are facts that can be learned when you need it. And then if Paul says it, but what about the big tooth? Oh, why do we think that a chicken is a dinosaur? And then you can maybe send them a video again or they can find it themselves and share it inside it and this is where i think the role of the teacher is challenged a lot because you're no longer the smartest guy you're the facilitator you need to ask the questions you need to ask open-ended questions one of our uh, one of our corporation partners in the u.s uh, eric oh, i forgot his last name it'll be here in a minute francis eric francis yeah well he's done. uh he's he's working on on uh, asking the right questions. He wrote a lot yep. of books about it and he's being consulted. Um, and now he's working on what he's called depth of knowledge, because how do you, how do you move the skills around? How do you make sure what it is? So Eric, he's, he's working a lot into that. And I think he's trying to, to bridge the gap from, you know, can call it the teacher of yesterday and today 
into the teacher of tomorrow and the future. Uh, and part of it is exactly asking the right questions and measure the depth of knowledge. Did they really understand it? And do they need to understand it at this level? And this is where I think you, you might want to get hold of him. He's sitting on, on the Qualius Advisory Board. And I've been doing yeah. a couple of podcasts with him uh, in the past three, four, five years. He's really, he has a very good perspective on that one. Uh, and I believe that he could also, you know, give you some more insights in, in, in this challenging uh, times, especially in the US where you're even more challenged than we are because you have a bigger system and maybe your system needs some changes that are harder to make because you're coming from a different tradition than we are in Scandinavia. I'm not saying Scandinavia is better in everything, but, but you know, when, when your basis is different, changes changing it is different because we will be seeing uh, a more global-based training. We'll see that uh, I communicate a lot with, with people in, let's say, India and Africa, and some of the things they do there in Africa, it's mind-blowing, but they don't have the computers. So everything they do will have to run on a phone. Some of the stuff is even on the older phones that can only text, but they managed to run a very impressive economy on top of text messaging. And, and the thing is, where we would say the video is great, they say, yeah, video is great, but I only have connectivity when I'm in the office, when I'm at school, when I'm at the local supermarket or whatever. And when I get home, the internet is so expensive, mobile internet is so expensive that I will not use it to watch videos. But I would be happy receiving text messages from my teacher to say, when you come back into Wi-Fi mobile data range and you can afford it, then please check video three or four before we meet. And these are some of the, 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 the different conditions that both technology and, and how the system works in, 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 in different parts of the world. It has surprised us a little uh, that, that, uh, that text messaging is so advanced in some parts of the world compared to how we use it here in, in Denmark and the U.S. also. Do you think there's a difference between, you know, the way we interpret text versus the way we interpret images versus having them both together. Do you think having them both together provides a superior form of, of information transfer? Yes. The short answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> the long answer is, uh, first of all, uh, the cognitive impression of images coupled with text, coupled with subtitles having captions on a video, mm. even even if it's an English video and you're an English native, native speaking or Danish, Danish native speaking, having subtitles in your own language or language you can read uh, just as good as you can. Uh, it, it improves the complete sort of understanding of it, especially when you do sort of peer-to-peer -peer, uh, training mm -hmm. type of operations, like, you know, let me do this. This is what you're going to do next time when you're in the office or when you're at the factory. So having the combination of images, video, live video, you have someone who's commenting, preferably in a language you understand, even cobbled with the subtitles in a language you can read easily, then suddenly you are being bombarded with knowledge through your eyes and your ears and your mental processing. And it should all hopefully then be stimulated by one or two quiz questions for each one minute video. You have two or three main points, not more than three. The brain can handle three things, more or less. Um, and in this way, you, 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 you're really pulling it out. But text is fine for some types, but most 
experiments show that when you're combining this, then the cognitive impression and of the learning effect is also larger. So, so this so, brings up an yeah. interesting, I'm sorry. No, no. So yeah, so 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 that's why that's why um, you you need you need everything if you can do it, and that's why video is so ideal, and 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 people understand it and they consume it, even if it's a bloody TikTok video or a YouTube short that I hate, but that's me. It it, it can actually be useful. It, here's another interesting question: If we take it to the idea of philosophy, if we if I think it was in Timaeus somewhere in there, they were talking. Someone goes to Toth and they talk about the invention of writing and they say that writing, while a great technology, will ultimately lead to man's illusion of understanding because people will have the written word and they'll have someone's idea of it, but they won't have the lived experience of it. And if we fast forward to Marshall McLuhan's ideas in the Gutenberg galaxy, he says that the images potentially because because we learn by watching these images. On some level, is that making our imagination atrophy? Do you think there's any truth to that? Yeah, it, it, it is. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, it, it's like it works so well because you can see if people they see this is how it works, and especially if you see like um, one of our customers in the U.S., they are uh, they're doing um, traffic, uh, intelligent traffic mm -hmm. for okay. emergency vehicle for schools and everything, and they actually have created a different set of videos. Some of them are to train in the software, but others are like, hey, <coughs> excuse me, hey, if you have the old model, you need to upgrade to the GSM module, and this is how we do it. And then you see the hands working on a module, and you see taking off this, taking out that, and then putting it in. And in this way, you're sort of demystifying the process because you can see they're creating like, they don't understand. I think the longest video is maybe three minutes, and that's even like a bit long if you ask me. But still, it means that you can sit down for three minutes, then you watch it, and you say, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, okay, he is telling me in the notes, I need a screwdriver this size, I need a, a piece of, uh, a piece of uh, cloth so I can wipe it off, etc. So I have all these things. Do I feel more or less confident? Let me watch the video again. And they say, yeah, this is okay, because, you know, as long as I, you know, touch something so I don't have any static electricity before I touch the ICs, I'm good to go. And then you sit down, and then you try, and then, oh. And then you say, okay, maybe let me just check. And then you roll the video back and then you freeze it, freeze it at let's say 221, which is exactly where you can see the way he's, you know, taking the screwdriver and sort of slowly, carefully on clicking the module. And you say, oh, that was a little hard. So you go back and then you slow it down to 0.25. So it's running at a quarter of normal speed. And then you see, ah, yeah, I can see that. And then click, bang. You did it. And that's where, you know, it, it really shows off because you can learn at your own pace. You can uh, focus on the details that are hard for you, or you can sit down and say, okay, I've now watched this for the second time and I don't feel confident about it. And then you can take a link to the course and say, hey, Susan, can you do this for me? I have everything in place in my office. And then 10 minutes later, Susan writes back, yeah, I can probably do that tomorrow morning. Just um, either leave your door open or drop it at my desk before I leave at 5 p.m. today. And then you have said, okay, cool, Susan will do it. Maybe you write back and say, hey, if it's okay, can, can, can we do it together? And then you have both the video 
that did show you how to do it, but didn't make you feel confident about it. And now Susan has said she will actually help you. Yeah. And maybe it turns out that Susan has done this a number of times, so she didn't even need the video. Or maybe she said, yeah, I see the video. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they, they tend to be a little more. It is plastic, yes, and it is something you need to click. But from experience, just click a little harder than your thoughts should be necessary. And then yeah, you have Susan a Susan probably has a kid that can do it. Yeah, that as well. That as well. <laughs> but yeah, but that's why. Ah, yeah, that's why she wanted it before five p.m. because then she could yeah. take it back and have her kid do it. <laughs> hmm. That's actually. Susan and, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, no. That we actually um. One of uh, we are working together with the Manufacturing Academy of Denmark, made. And they're like an organization partly sponsored by the industry and partly by the government. And they're trying to say, okay, how can we make learning more effective in the industry? And they used our platform to, to train some operators. No, that's not true. They made a comparative study where they would use our platform, AR, VR, all these technologies to say, okay, how can I train a guy on the factory floor coming in with no knowledge on how to start this production line? They're like 22 steps they need to go through before they can hit the big button and the machine starts to work. Um, yeah, we came out number one because we were the easiest. People knew how to use video. It was easier than papers and all the other stuff didn't work out. But the interesting part was that they're working together with something that called D-A-M-R-C, Damrc. I don't know how to pronounce that correctly in English, but it's the Danish Advanced Manufacturing Research Center. I think that's the that's actually the English name, but I don't know how to pronounce the the, the, the abbreviation in English. Damarsi, Damarsi. <laughs> so they said, "Okay, Christian, can we borrow? Can we get a free platform for for our training? Because we're trying to to teach the companies how to use this VR glasses and all that stuff. And it's really hard, you know, how to unpack them, how to maintain them, how to charge them in, and all that stuff." And said, so, "Yeah, that's fine. Do this. The only thing is, we give it to you for free because." We would like to have a you know, testimonial and stuff like that. Okay. And then my CEO had like she made an interview with Damasi the other week. And they were like, yeah, it works really well. And the funny thing is we have used it for a lot of other things, your platform, because it's so easy. And people, they understand video. And we said, yeah, that's what we told you. But, you know, anything you want to share in particular? Yeah. In the Danish industry, we have a lack of a so-called TAP engineer, TAP engineer. And this is a person who by understanding the sounds and the noise coming from factory machinery will have an educated uh, understanding of when maintenance is needed or if something wow. is wrong. So it's basically like you listen to this type of acoustic. This is the normal. If it sounds like this, you should schedule maintenance. If it sounds like this, turn it off and get someone <laughs> to look at it immediately, roughly right. speaking. And, and he told us that they created those videos and then they managed to train a 16-year-old person simply by using the videos on how to work as a TAP, a TAP engineer. And that is mind-blowing because yeah. you take something that is a little complex, but you boil it into these short videos, which is another point he made, uh, yeah. is that create changing that training format from pictures and documents and PDF files into videos forced them to rethink what it is they're trying to, to to teach the learners. Because now suddenly you see it with a camera that is more or less like, uh, so it's more or less yeah. following your eyes. So you have a, a much more realistic perspective in some of the training when you use video. 
but going back to the top, if they manage to teach a 16 year old how to do a, 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 an evaluation of the machine according to the tap strategies. And then, yeah. Yeah, and then we can really reschool, retrain, because you will do lifelong learning. I will not be pensioned until I'm 70. I can see some of the, you know, at least in Denmark and most part of the Western Europe, that, you know, the life expectation is going up a few months every year. And that means that my career, I've been in business, I've been in, in jobs for about 30 years. I have another 15, 20 years left. So somewhere between 40 and 50 years, that will more range for most people be 50 to 60 years, maybe where they're working. And that means the likelihood of you to change your career along the way is much higher. Yeah. So we need to be able to read people and do lifelong education. And this is where some of the elements that Dharma C has, has documented. It's easy if you can break it down into the simple elements and only teach people the elements because they already have learned how to be on a shop floor. They already know how to use screwdrivers and stuff like that. Or they have already worked in, uh, in catering. So it's a really easy transition into uh, service jobs in a, in a coffee shop or to be uh, assisting in a kitchen in a restaurant instead of being in the canteen. So in this way, it, it would really support the long-term welfare of the, our economy that we're able to retrain people both sort of within the area within related area, but also completely different areas without having to throw a lot of money, time and effort after it. And this is where we see our mission that is to help supporting that. I think it would help a lot with mental wellness too, because so many people feel stuck in their job and they can't <laughs> get out. You know, what a great way for people to say, you know what, I can leave here. I'm not happy and just learn this new skill. And with this, with this particular service as a software i can i can do it relatively quickly and you can kind of have a rebirth yeah. in your life yeah and if you know something that you feel will have value to other people yeah you can put it on youtube that's clearly one option but you can also say i'll sign up for a, a the basic you call your subscription and we have simply decided if you put your content out for free you're not charged we're only charging for the people you're inviting. So that means if you create, you know, how to do this, how to do that, and you put it out for free on our platform as a public uh, training course, we don't charge you. Because we would like to help the SDG uh, from the UN number four about education, you know, quality education. And if people want to watch your public videos, you probably do something that is okay, good. So we, just, we, we have decided that when you publish like that, it's for free, supporting the, the life long learning a quality education goal and that's uh, we've seen that in many places uh, my wife uh, and CEO well, that's you know she's the boss both <laughs> in life and uh, and at home of course um she, she went to to a conference in, in Dubai and they were talking about what to do how to solve the biggest problems etc and it turned out as one of the guys from Argentina he said you know what the problem is you don't get it you're from Scandinavia and you don't get that the problem is not war it's not you know, food, it's education. It's how to teach people to fish. If you take the Bible reference, mm, right. you know, I can give you a fish and you'll survive for tomorrow or the day after. But if I teach you how to fish, you will probably survive the rest of your life. And this is where we see our mission to support that in a way, if people are interested. At the same time, we want to make money. So if you invite people, 
you will be charged. Don't worry about that. So we're not we're not sort of philanthropic completely, but we need to we need to make it uh, attractive to share knowledge, quality knowledge. Yeah, that's it's that's the best way in which we all live a better life is when everyone's getting better. And the, like you said earlier in the conversation, you had mentioned one of the problems that we have not only in corporations but in families or in trying to get ahead. We try to hoard this knowledge, this secret, even with patents yeah. or with like all this information. Like it, it just stops innovation in its tracks. Yeah, agreed. And that's also why you see some of the some of the crowd surfing initiatives. Yeah, they actually end up with you know, oh, this is a really bad idea. And why is it a bad idea? You know, because you cannot get five people on uh, what's it called the funder thing where you can test a thing. You can, you can't even get starters. Kickstarter, yeah. You can't even get five people in the whole world supported. It's probably not where you should put your energy. And then you create something else, and in 20 minutes, you have the first 20. The next day, when you wake up, your mailbox is flooded by, by notification from Kickstarter, and you say, is this a really good idea? Maybe I should invest a little more time and money into it. Yeah. And, and, and um we were in uh, Silicon Valley about five years ago, almost to the date, actually. And one of the big problems there mentioned by some of the founders and co-founders we met was there is too much money out there at the moment, meaning that bad ideas, they live longer than they should. Mm. This is not the case now in the VC area, there are less money. But at that point in time, it was relatively easy to get money. And if you're a small operation, a million dollar can, you know, really fund you for a long time and you try the, you do the MVP, you test out for a few customers, but at the end of the day, you forget there's actually not a market for your product out there. You were just lucky to find a technology advocate who thought it was cool to try out and who didn't care too much about it. And you gave it to him for free anyway. So by, by using, you can call it the dissemination of ideas in a free forum and understanding that sharing, is actually receiving in the long run, but it's the long game. It's not yeah. the short term. And this is where where you see, I've seen this also in corporate uh, corporate cultures, where there's a tendency to just being kept close to the people who, who have it, and they're only sharing on request or when it makes them look good at the top management meetings. So his KPI is fulfilled, but the company's future is potentially deteriorating because we don't say this is actually a good idea or you think this is cool but we tested that five years ago and it didn't matter here you have the notes and the projects and everything when we tried it five years ago maybe you're right this is the time now and then suddenly you are putting one and one together and either getting zero because this still doesn't fly or hey now it flies and let's try it out with some of our progressive customers but when he's keeping this close to the chest, and, and I'm sorry to say he, because there's a tendency, first of all, that, that many of the people, they're male. And secondly, males, they are more, this is my idea. Whereas sure. females are more sharing and involving for the organization as such. So there, there are also some 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 gender issues to, to, to discuss in different areas. And this is where, again, going back to the example of why, why we make this available and why we believe in training, um, we uh, we talked to uh, to a guy called Percy Barnevik some years ago. You may know him at least by name, but he uh, 
actually he might he's very old now but he used to be the ceo of of some major industrial companies here in europe and after f stopping that he started doing philanthropy and, and 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 education and they have a simple rule one they only give money to women two they give it in so small proportion and right when they need it to for instance buy a sewing machine buy a new oven or something else so that the woman can get the stuff put it into the house before her husband comes back takes the money and drink them up mm. all see all, all studies they show that when the, the the women are getting educated when the women get the money they will actually very fast train and get their own kids especially the girls educated and the more girls you get educated the faster the birth rate goes down the faster the death rate of newborn goes down and the higher the general income and especially the middle class will grow more it's it's and this is where sometimes when you sit uh, in a country like denmark where we send money to different parts of the world as, as support they should go directly into education and education of the girls only to be honest the, the boys will follow don't worry but we need to get that change and then suddenly you know you're dropping everything you know all the things you want to go down they go down all the things you want to go up they go up and this is again part of what we would like to to to, to support if you have something that can train people to be better and that can be anything then it should be out there and should be available preferably for free as long as you have an internet connection <coughs> i love it I, I i couldn't agree anymore and it's interesting when we start talking about trends and, and ideas like that. How do you envision the evolving relationship between traditional education institutions and online learning platforms like Equalio and shaping the future of education? We touched on this a little bit, but maybe we can go into depth. Yeah, I think that's an important part of it. Me too. And if you look, uh, yeah, <laughs> but if you look at, at how some of the programs have transformed on the top management levels if you look at the old maybe it's not the right word but more <laughs> the traditional mba education you would sign up for insert in paris or mit in the us and then you would be going there for maybe two weeks initially you'll be doing some papers you'll go back and you will meet with those guys you'll travel a lot Etc. Etc. That's how it was in the old days. Typically, a two-year program with uh, six or eight weeks where you were on site with the other people on the program, and and then you would graduate hopefully, and you would run a, you would do a case, preferably in your own company or one of the other people's company, and then you would uh, and then you would uh, graduate, and everybody would say great, and then you would move company because you want to trade your MBA into something much more lucrative in another company sure. but if you look at those programs they have gone from being on site those eight or ten times plus some field work to being oh you can now do them in modules so you're adapting more to i don't really need the program but let me get this module and that module and maybe i'll finish it later that was sort of one of the first transformation they did and the second one was that suddenly they went partly virtual and you would be able to take some of it virtually and some of them are now even completely virtual and that means that suddenly you're opening up to a range where it's not just paying them let's say the tuition fee of 
$100,000. But I also had to factor in that Christian will be away and traveling for eight weeks every year for two years. And he's not going to the cheapest destination and he's not staying at the cheapest hotels and all that stuff. So, so the total budget of training people, both on management level, but also on the lower levels is going down. And this is where I see the, the marriage of traditional learning institutions and the, and the different learning platforms like ours. That is price does matter. Cost does matter. I know there are this classic one. Oh, the, the CFO, he asks, should we really spend so much money training people? What if they leave us? And the CEO, he asks, well, what if we don't train them and they leave us? Then who are you left with? Yeah, um, you know, so, and this is, and this is where I see that, that the institutions and platforms like ours or, or multiple platforms, and this is maybe one of the challenges because the people in the university industry or the, whatever you call it, <laughs> they tend to be a little um, classic and they would have to have one solution that fits everything. And then we're back to why we don't talk to big companies if we can avoid it, because they put in the purchasing department, the universities, they ask all the professors, and then suddenly you get an RFP that is so long that I, if I printed it, you wouldn't even be able to see it on the wall behind me. I'm not joking. We get these RFPs and they're like 400 questions. And we're saying, okay, what are you asking? Is this like a rocket science software you're looking for? <laughs> or is this just something that can give all your people access to some learning inside the organization or with your extended enterprise pulling in your partners and all that stuff? Why don't you try our platform for $20 a month? And if you don't like it, it's fine. <laughs> if it works for you, it's even better. And if it didn't work, you at least know how it should look like, because these are then certainly the minimum requirements in a much more flexible way. And to be honest, a consultant who will put together an RFP like that, he doesn't do it for less than $5,000. Well, for $5,000, you can run our platform for 250 months <laughs> at the minimum level, of course, but still, and this is, you know, they're pulling in so many things. And this is where the universities, they're a little challenging because they they would, they would like to have like one thing that can do everything for them. But they don't understand that in some cases, let's say the online training for different areas, it would make more sense to have sort of a low cost, high impact solution like ours. And in other cases, yes, they need to have something that can schedule 3000 students and put in teachers and rooms and everything but but if you if you want one thing that fits all you will very often spend a lot of time finding it and it will never fit all your needs right. and then we're back to you know software as a service at a reasonable price try it out our prices are set so you can run them on your expense credit card without being noticed i'm not supposed to say that but, but uh... <laughs> that's funny because, you know, then you circumvent the, the central IT and the spend and all that stuff. Right. But, but it actually means that, that that you can try it out. And if it works really well, you can go back to purchase and say, you know what, I really want this. And the reason I want it is this and that. And uh, what would it take to put it into the infrastructure? And yes, then we need to develop, develop some, uh, to deliver some ISO documentation on doing things correctly, blah, 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 to follow the IT security and CSIO and all that stuff. But they have something that works now yep. this is this is really uh, this is really where i see a challenge for the learning institution is that they 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 are um, they're very used to do things one way and they they do not ride the same day as they saddle 
That's a great one. <laughs> so, so we talked to one of our, um, there was this EdTech conference in Denmark in the beginning of September. And in the break, I talked to, to one of our guys there from a, from a different vendor. You know, we, you know, we're not competitors, so we know we, we, we keep in touch and talk. And then I mentioned he, he, one of his colleagues said, so who are you, uh, who you're targeting? And I said, small and medium, because either they need it. And if they need it, they either like it or they don't like it. And if they like it, they buy it. If not, they tell us they don't like it. And I don't need to spend more time on that because it's a yes or no. It's a, you know, it's the CEO or it's the COO or head of service or something, head of sales, and he can take the decision and that's it. Whereas when you enter a big company, you have purchasing, you have the uh, validity of everything. And at the end of the day, you know, oh, oh, I forgot we used all the budget or no. Oh, by the way, all the hours we spent now is to put you into the qualification for the projects for the budget 2025. I'm sorry, but we're in 2023. Yes, yes, but this, the queue of projects is filled so much out now. We need to qualify now for 2025. And then you have spent like a few hours, maybe 10 hours reading through this, having two or three meetings. But going back to the conference where I met the, the other company, they said, yeah, we know that. So the next time this big pharmaceutical Danish company, they call them, they say, thank you very much for your interest. Point one, we will do the first meeting at our location. And secondly, we would like one of your VPs to participate or at least confirm that this is an active investigation that may result in a purchase within the next six months. Otherwise, <laughs> we're not talking to him. Because they had had the same experience like us. Oh, everything is fine. And then suddenly, oh, but he didn't like it. Okay. Did you have the okay before you started this? No, no, but he said this and that. Okay. Next time we meet at our place and I need a VP to confirm right. or be present. We haven't done that yet, but I think basically that's the same we do because we have uh, we, we have had the same challenge that you see with, with learning institution and, and using platforms like ours is that it has to go through, uh, I don't know the rules in the US, but here in, in the European Union, we have rules that if the total yearly cost of something like buying a new system is more than 50,000 euros, which is roughly $60,000. It has to be a public, uh, what do you call that? Utility? No, there has to be a public uh, tender. Tender. They have to make a public tender so everybody right. can bid if they want to. And suddenly you go from, this is pretty easy to get started to, okay, so if I need to do a public tender, I need to have all the material, blah, blah, blah. And then suddenly you're in a project and then someone in the university admin is saying, are you doing a public tender for something that will cost us around 70,000 euros a year? Oh, can't you just give, make them give us a discount so it goes below, which is one option, which I would typically be happy to, to, to try to accommodate. And in other cases, they said, yep, yeah, we see the need. We'll ask the rest of the university if they need anything. And then suddenly you have this, you know, sending in. So yes, I think the universities and, and ed tech providers and, 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 and lenders like us, we could benefit from each other in a large way, but at least the rules and the and the, and the organization and the culture in, in, in Europe and Denmark specifically makes it a little hard. Yeah, I think I think they're they're gonna it has to change. There's no way they're gonna be able to stay relevant for a long period of time unless they change the ways in which they they move education and it, it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, 
whenever there's change, I guess change is kind of good for everybody, but I see it, I see it coming that way. You know, I, it, um, speaks, it speaks to this idea of technology increasingly augments the learning process. What fundamental skills and attributes do you believe will remain uniquely human and essential for future generations? Communication. Yeah. It well, is communication because you can train an AI to a lot of things. You can do a lot of things in video or other types of online learning or books for that sake. But at the end of the day, even though that you're delivering a piece of software or a service as a, through a internet connection, it is communication between humans. No matter, you know, no matter what we do, at the end of the day, the, the, the skill of being able to communicate and create knowledge and understanding from people to people, even if you're using a technical media, even if you're feeding your knowledge into a LLP model or something like that, it is still communication from people to people. It's just a question of how it's delivered and how fast it can process and suggest things compared to maybe my brain or my knowledge, because I have a limited knowledge, but by putting my knowledge in and letting it communicate with other people's knowledge, we actually will maybe give a better answer. So I think that that the the, the long term goal of, of not goal, but the long term is that focusing on the skills of communication and also being able to like like we're having a conversation now. You're listening to me, but you're also at the same time watching me in, in on your video. Yeah. So you get a different perspective, and this is something that may be doable by the avatars from Colossian and Synthesia, at least offline when they're creating the stuff. And I think that maybe in five or 10 years time, we will have something that would look like me speaking with a mimic, with all the small things that make me look human, even though it's an avatar that's just saying something, it has been fed in from a live stream of somebody who sampled my voice for 20, 30 seconds, and then they can say almost anything. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a little, uh, but, but, but at the end of the day, it would be communication that would be my answer to your question there. It's, it's a, if we stay in that vein a little bit, as, as education adapts to a more digital and data-driven landscape, how do you balance the need for personalized learning experiences with concerns about data privacy and security? The data security must always be there. We have, uh, we thought we were really good. And then we had a couple of white hat hackers looking into our application. And it was surprising and it was a little scary because we're thinking, yeah, you're right. And initially they, they got all the cheap points on the OWASP 10, top 10. That's like the, the organization that's doing this. They have like top 10 things. But then they started learning a little more about our own application. And it turned out there were some loopholes in some of the, especially when, you know, reset password, log on, log off multiple sessions. So first of all, security must be there. And I'm a little worried. No, I'm also sitting at the IT University, the Danish right. IT University. I'm sitting as I'm heading up the employers panel. And one of the things we managed to put into the education for everyone is IT security. We said, you know, you cannot leave IT University without having had at least seven and a half ECTS points in security. So that's 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 one of the things. So data security is very important for these solutions. And what is even more important is the data privacy. And here we can see that we, as well as many of our peers in the network, they are not sharing data with others. It is uh, kept to the company who owned it. 
and people can request to be deleted. So we are following rules like GDPR, etc. And when we design it in, it's actually really, really easy. So I have a big understanding and my thoughts go out to the people who have legacy applications who have not have the same flexibility or who are not being developed within the past two or three years that they will that they will they, ha they have a job to do hmm. so that's that was the the you can call it the easy answers to your question but the <laughs> big challenge is the same as today we are not training uh young people in school about the value of that data and the value of the privacy yeah. and that means that people are happily sharing lots of stuff with TikTok. i'm happily sharing with google i was so stupid that i no, not stupid but i'm looking into a, a, a new lens for my micro 43 camera which is a, a pretty cool format really small and everything so now all the ads that i see on google and almost any other platform because they're sharing each other cookies is now where can i buy lenses for the Micro Four Three, preferably Olympus, who seems to be the one who's paying the most for the. So, <laughs> and I don't care too much because you know I was interested and it's fair. I haven't bought anything yet, but I'm checking out the prices, and I might buy something before Christmas. So actually, it's for me, it's a service. But we need to teach the people early on about these things. That data has a value. That their privacy is actually really important. And at the same time, we also see that uh, if the education system, if the edtech industry doesn't put that in as one of the top five, you know, you have security and privacy. If they're not in the top five of what a system should deliver in the next, you know, in the coming years, then then they might not be following the, you know, the requirements and, 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 and the expectations of, of, of people like this. Can you share your perspective on how AI can be harnessed to address the challenges of accessibility and inclusivity in education, particularly for individuals with diverse learning needs? It will definitely improve it a lot for those uh, categories because Again, as we you had a question earlier about, you know, do you learn more yeah. when you watch the video and you see the text and you see yeah. the and this is exactly where AI can help a lot. Because what it can do is to say, Oh, Christian, you seem not to really get the point here. Should I find an alternative way to describe it for you? And then it can go out and then it can Google other YouTube videos. It can even it can Google or it can search in the directory of, of your learning system or things like that. Or it can find out Okay, Christian, I could see from the way you interacted with the current two or three or five courses you've done on my platform, you tend to like reading more than you like to do this. So let me come with these links on, let's say, Wikipedia or from some other sources that have high quality and then present that to the learner who might have some challenges in watching long videos or short videos or TikTok type of education because I'm not a TikTok person. Maybe I'd like to sit down and read because that's how my brain works. And this is where the AI, not so much the generative AI, but the model that would be checking when does Christian manage to do it well compared to the expected outcome. Okay, the more text, either in the video, even if it's a video, there's a lot of text in a video, but it seems to be those videos which have both captions and spend a little time on, let's say, doing a PowerPoint presentation or 
writing something on the whiteboard, which is being transmitted as the video. Uh, so that would be able to, to sort of do that or simply say, oh, <coughs> Christian, I can see you have a little challenge with the video. Why don't you read the transcript? And then remember, you can click on the timing and that will take you to the position in the video where this is shown. And then you can see the experiment, maybe if it's like a science stuff or or some something like uh, uh, how to how to do something in, in, in English or something. So people will be in Instead of just seeing the video, they will say, oh, Christian, I think you should uh, just uh, read the transcript first. And if there's something you'd like to see, just click on the timings and the video will be shown in the in the video box. I could see that work out really well. And in that way, people who, who, who have different learning styles will be better served. Yeah, I agree. We, you know, in a recent conversation, I was talking to... Uh... Matthew, and we were talking about what might possibly be the future of AI and learning. And he had mentioned this idea about simulations. Like, why wouldn't a large corporation or even a medium corporation just put you into a simulation as a manager where you can make 100 decisions or, you know, 500 decisions and really begin to understand the consequences or the perceived consequences or the, the unregistered consequences about what could happen? Do you see something similar like that moving forward for education and, and leadership in, in I, that realm? Yes, I definitely follow what Matthew said there because simulations are a great way to, to test your knowledge. That's one thing. Yeah. But it's also if you can put in, let's just call it specific scenarios from your own business, your own company, your own markets, you would be able to try out and see what would happen, assuming that these simulations have these parameters and, and, and they seem reasonable. What will the consequences be? And I could see learning coming from, let's say, you get the facts and the how-tos and the models, etc. for instance, from our platform. And then when you're done, you yeah. pass the test, you are being directed to, okay, I'm ready to do the simulation. And this will take you into a simulation environment where you will be seeing, okay, you have now learned how, uh, how you can model, taking the American customers uh, applied information again, doing yeah. how you can model doing a smart city. So let's try you see here's the grid of let's say uh, Fort Lauderdale please put in the places where these uh, crossings and everything has to be controlled by the emergency vehicle because you have a cost constraint each of these devices cost x dollars you have y dollars and y divided by x gives you only 65 units and actually you have 250 units so now, based on the traffic flow statistical data of Fort Lauderdale, plus your understanding of how to use the in, uh, use the, the the devices, plus you only have sixty five devices to cover two hundred and fifty locations, try it out, and then you can actually, based on the traffic data, you can simulate what would be the consequences, and then you might say, okay. I think this is the optimal location for this sixty five, but if I could have another ten. Where would I put them? And then you can, you know, simulate different options. And then you can certainly say, hey, if I get another 10 items, which cost X, so I get 10 like X, can I get 10 more for my budget? I can actually cut down further four seconds of most uh, emergency runs, etc. And then you use the simulation to tell your boss that, to be honest, we need to find budget for another 10 items because that will do this and that in these 25 scenarios. And we have so many of these in a year in Fort Lauderdale. So that would give us, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then you're using the simulation coupled with your understanding of the products and how it works. 
with, you know, trying it out. I know it's a game, but very often you will try to say, this is a really, you do three, four, five simulations. And when you use similar input and you get similar output, then it's a reasonable assumption that it's not too far away from the future, or sorry, from the real result. And that's why coupling knowledge and cases with a simulation will make a lot of sense. Yeah, it, it almost makes me feel like when you start really thinking about how close that actually is, like th that can happen. Like that almost feels like we're in a simulation now. Like it, it just makes me start thinking about my life. Like what if that's what's going on? <laughs> but but very often you, you shouldn't start on that because then you can really feel awful. I know. Really I, can't, I, can't I know. <coughs> All right, let me let me bring but, it back but, to this. But, yeah, go ahead. This was no, this was a good case for the, the simulation too. Like 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 his input on that. I also were. Uh, Tuned into the podcast uh, last week, uh, and and it and it really makes sense because, yeah, very often you will find out. Um, like I think you know Daniel Kahneman, I think he's the, mm. the Nobel laureate in behavioral economics. He wrote a second book uh, after thinking fast and slow when he talked about mm -hmm. decision making and the noise that we have in our decision making, and one of the things that actually. Yeah, blew my mind away, to be honest, is that very often, if you do a simple model, you get almost as good results as if you do an advanced model. Hmm. So, so by teaching people that, you know, create a simple simulation and see the direction, because even though that, yes, it doesn't cover all 25 parameters, no, it doesn't cover all the data you have access to, but it gives you an indication of, is this probably right to to work on that direction, or is it probably wrong to work in that direction? Yeah. And this was a little surprising that, that you know, a simple model could point you in that direction, which would have taken you a week or more to set up in a complex model. So yeah. simulations, they work. Agreed. As long as you remember, they're probable, they're probable outcomes, and you need to test the validity and the robustness. Yeah. Cons considering the rapid advancements in AI, what responsibilities do educators, institution, and technology companies have in preparing individuals for a future where AI is an integral part of everyday life? It is to teach them that the AI is currently not intelligent but it is so much faster in analyzing data and seeing patterns and creating internal rules uh, by the by the building neural mechanisms so that very often they come up with something that is a good answer, but you need to check if it's the answer you need. And this is, but, but this is where the, but this is where I was sitting at the, the technical university, no, sorry, IT University of Denmark, not the technical, but the IT university. And we were discussing this on the last meeting because we need to understand both as an, the industry and also the educators, how does AI impact some of the work we do? And I know that most people only know AI since chat GTP from November last year, but uh, there has been uh, a very active and working uh, AI called uh, Copilot, which you could use as a software developer. And that has been around for a longer period of time. Right. And now we have some valid uh, data from from different surveys and, and and analysis and what it shows is that if you have a reasonably good developer plus the code pilot you create stuff that is better 
not surprising. But where it might surprise people is if you have a medical or software developer or a bad software developer and you put in the co-pilot, you get something that is roughly on the level of what the co-pilot will do, but the code is maybe not the best. So, so just having the ability to, to ask an AI doesn't mean that the answer is useful or, or, or right. And this is where we as both industry, uh, universities, primary schools and everything, we need to say this is a tool and the tool is good and it comes up with amazing answers. Especially when you communicate, say, hey, I don't really like this. Can you, can you write a polite, uh, polite answer to, no, I'm not going to Pakistan to join your conference because, to be honest, I don't want to spend two days going there half an hour at my presentation, half an hour in a panel panel talk, and then maybe meeting a few other potential people, and then spend two days going back. And if I'm really unlucky, I have to spend most of the time in, in, in my room because I ate something on the street I should not have eaten. <laughs> and then you can ask ChatGPT or Bart or someone else to come up with that, and they come up with a really yeah. good answer. But you still need to read through the content. Yep. You still need to question, is this the right outcome? And this is where we have a responsibility as, as industry, as educators, and as society to teach people that, well, AI is a technique. It can be used in a lot of ways, and it's mind-blowing what can be created and things like that. One example. Let me give me one yeah. example. Yeah. We have integrated a component called OnLayer into our system so we can make better landing pages. And then suddenly they came up with what they called the AI image generator. Look, so I'm writing here, I'm pulling in text, I'm pulling in an image, and when I click on the image widget, it comes up and say, oh, do you want to upload one or should I create something for you? And I thought, that's cool. So I put in some, some keywords that would probably give me an image towards, you know, the Swimsuit International Yearly, and it generated images that look similar to that. Nice. Yes, but what is even nicer is that then I tried the same two months later. We're still using this component. Our customers are starting building the landing pages using this as the sort of the, the editor for the page. And then I pull in the image and then I wrote the same keywords that I did three months ago for getting something swimsuit international uh, edition type of pictures. And then after a few seconds, it came back and said, sorry, I cannot generate an image based on that input. Can you please enhance it? So they had somehow in that period built in some filtering to say, we're not going to generate pictures of lightly dressed women, of course, in swimsuits or less. Mm. So they had taken their responsibility in earnest and said, yes, we know what people will write stuff like that. And we will make sure that, you know, the filter before we send it to the AI image generator, we're not generating stuff like that. And this is, an example, uh, there are probably many more examples, but that's one we have seen where, you know, the supplier using AI to generate image has taken a responsibility and say, these are keywords that we will not allow our engine to process. And, and this is uh, the level of, of, of responsibility we should see others do as well, and which we as consumers, both business and consumer consumers, should expect them to do without us having to ask them for it. Is that a slippery slope though? Is that all of a sudden giving the power to the people to 
you know, maybe leave things out that some people may want to see. Like who who's who decides the greater good there? Yeah, I don't I, I don't have the answer to that because I unfortunately <laughs> I, 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 I no no, but unfortunately I tend to see the same. Right now here in Denmark we have a we have a a law change in progress that will make it illegal to burn the Bible. Right now, it's okay. You can burn any book you like as long as it's your own and you're not putting people in danger. Right. That's sort of the, the, the Danish approach. Right. But now, because we had some challenges with the Danish uh, ultra-right-wing politician who has burned the Koran a couple of times, we are now talking about making it illegal to burn the Bible and, and things. And to be honest, I don't understand why he does it but if that's what makes him happy yeah. and he doesn't put any people on fire or throw the burning right. book about uh, after someone else <laughs> yeah that's just doing and please do it a place where there's no television camera or live streaming that right. would be great um agreed but i see the slope as well as you mentioned because if we cannot burn these types of books maybe there are some other things we cannot talk about either like yeah And then I could mention a list of things, but, 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 but. <laughs> I got so, it. I got so, it. Don't worry. I got them all. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, 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 exactly. And I said, I said a word this morning to my son and he thought, dad, did you just say the word? And I said, no, I didn't. Yes, you did. <laughs> so I was like, it was like, you know, I'm an old person. So I learned Me to too. say things and, and, and it comes out naturally. And I know it's not right. And I have really changed a lot and I'm still changing. But once in a while, it just comes from the back of your head. <laughs> This is what I would yeah. have said 30 years ago. And I was driving in traffic. And that meant that my brain processed and found the word that I should use. But my mouth didn't say, this is where you stop. And and the slope is exactly that. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think we're doing a lot of things that are correct by addressing these items. But, but we also have the risk of saying, okay, so you will now not see these results in your search because somebody have decided that they don't like it or somebody have said it might be and remember please note the word might it might be offensive to this category of people um we had an experience and this was actually that was a really interesting one because we had a website for the company hosted on a platform i will not mention the name i can do that maybe but and uh, we had a colleague or a partner in Kiev, and she said, yes, I was trying to show you a platform and what it does to someone who might be a potential customer of it, but the website was not there. What are you talking about? The website is up and running. I can see it and everything. No, I cannot see it. And then she sent me a screenshot, and I could see that that was definitely looking like our website was not up. And then, fortunately, she had time a little later in the day, so we did a team meeting. And I said, come on, show me what is happening. And she went to youpolio.com and blank, blank screen 404. And then I said, but but please check your Karen, Karen. She's called Karen. And she saw my screen and I said, youpolio.com and bang, it was there. Then I said, can we please, if you show your screen again, yes, please hit F12 so we get the developers tool in the side box. And then please do it again. And then there were some errors like saying, access denied it was not a 404 they were actually getting it was like a four, mm. 503 or something like that and then it turned out that the website company was had been acquired by a venture fund uh, i think it was a venture fund and they didn't like the rogue states and russia the ukraine 
some African countries, uh, Libya and Syria, they were excluded. What? Wow. So you have decided not to show our content when it comes from one of these. They, they took the U.S. government list of, of states right. that you should not do business with. And then they said, yeah, but we do it in such a way that all the requests from these states are stopped as well. And we're saying, yes, but 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 it's fine you do this, but you didn't tell us. Right. And it's not obvious. And this is where they went in and took some responsibility without telling us or giving us as consumer or customer an opportunity to say, is it okay that our content is being showed in, in Ukraine, Russia, Syria, etc.? And we will say, yes, because they probably have a right to learn as well. And we would like to sell our products as long as not to the government. Um, but no, they blocked it without saying it. And this is where I was a little surprised because I thought it just worked. I didn't know that they were being filtered away. And this is where the slope can actually suddenly be a little more steep than you expect. <laughs> It's very true. It's very true. I have a, uh, I have a question that my wife wants me to ask. My wife is in charge of a really, she's in charge of a rather, a rather large HR department. And she was curious while I've looked up some things online, maybe you could share some stories with me and for her and for people that may be listening in the HR room. What are some amazing qualities that you Qualio can do for an HR department? Speed and time to market. That is the most important thing because very often when we see HR departments evolve in the training and learning, they need to um, they need to go out, find the subject matter expert. They need to interview them, etc., because they don't want to do it. But right now, utilizing your quality, you can go out, interview George, talking about this in Hawaii. You can ask Christian to do a screen recording from his office in Copenhagen. And then suddenly you have version one out and running, time to market very fast. If you have a pandemic situation, we actually did one of our webinars in March 2020. What we did there was we, we simulated, use this COVID instruction training to both tell people about how to wash their hands, how to do this as, as one main goal. But as a sub goal, you also measured how fast can I reach out to my complete organization? Like... I sent it out to 300 people dispersed around the globe. I can see when they're clicking on the links. If I have not seen them click on the links after four hours, I will send them a secondary email. If they haven't clicked on that one, I will send it out by text messaging, which is incidentally something people look at within two minutes after receiving it. So in this way, in addition to saying, hey, we care about what you need, here are the most important things by the CDC about hand washing, desanitizing, blah, 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 blah. No, it's called desensitizing, 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 yeah, desensitizing, yeah, whatever, decontaminating, sorry, sanitizing. Um, and first of all, everybody in the organization had learned about it, so you moved them from this area to this area in very short time, and at the same time, you had a timeline you could put back into management and also other HR functions, say, we sent out to 300 people. After two hours, so many have an opening. After four hours, so many. After the first reminder, so many. After the SMS text reminder, so many. So that meant that you also gave some operational knowledge how fast can we transform it. So I think that's one of the things. The second thing is, as we talked about earlier, it's the ability to make a version one where you say, I send it out to maybe a small peer group, five, 10 people globally, and ask 
them to send feedback, either as text or screen recordings or cell phone recordings, depending on the subject. So you can have a very quick review cycle and you can actually run the review cycle with these specialists or, or, or peers, or tra you know, uh, important people with, you know, what do you call that when you have like a, the, the, the top of the network, the people everybody's listening to. The board of directors or the... Uh, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know, they, they can, they can feed it back, whatever, but as soon as you get a feedback, oh, there's a spelling mistake, you fix it, you send it out. Nobody have, then the first person who finds the spelling mistake sends it back to you and you do it and then you press update. Then nobody will know that there was a spelling yeah. mistake. So in this way, the, the, the review and the quality assurance on, 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 on both quickly created courses and more uh, long-term courses, etc., is faster because you can say, there's a new version out, can you please check it out? And then you get at least the spelling mistake fixed very easily. And the next person who's supposed to do a review, he will not lean back and say, okay, I've done my work. I found two spelling mistakes in a question. <laughs> so you lean back. No, he actually has to go through and see, is it working? Is the learning objective fine? And say, so in this way, by, by sort of, it's it's actually like debugging a piece of code. You can actually right. debug it more or less live because you're removing those small detractors. And when you found as a learner, if you found that the teacher has one, tick, 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 or something like that, or he or she, I saw it yesterday, I was at a, at a meeting, and he couldn't spell uh, a word, he spelled it incorrectly, because he spelled it without the T at the end, because if you do it like this, it's a not, when you have the T at the end, then it's a, you must. So I spent, mm -hmm. I, that's not true, but I spent a little more time saying, oh, he's misspelled this one again, he's misspelled this one again, he's misspelled this again, and that took my attention away. Yeah, that's that's human. So that's yeah. the second thing. You have the ability to very quickly do uh, do do review, and then second, uh, thirdly, depending on the type of company you are and, and the and the and the people, you will find that especially the newer generation that are hitting the labor market now, they are used to using video. If you send them a video, they will just consume it, and if they can like it or send feedback, they will probably do it. Yeah. I think that's that's like three reasons yeah. why, why a platform could 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 fit in in, in many HR departments, and yeah. it would also means that that uh, you would. I had to one about the subject matter experts, but you would be able to create things yourself without being, the hostage of the two persons in your department who knows, and then I could mention, either uh, you know some, some content creation or other learning platforms etc. But but you're not you're not the 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 hostage of those guys on their capacity or right. the number of licenses you have anymore. Right. Yeah, it's a great point. And then our platform and also many other platforms, they support delegation in a way that you can say, we create the content and then we make it available for the different channels, either directly, so we are publishing it, or we are moving, we're delegating the responsibility to a channel manager and then she can decide what she wants to pull in of the standard content and present to her company. Like if your location is in a equatorial African state, you really don't need this stuff about how to avoid slipping on snow, for instance. <laughs> but you might see it in the standard catalog, but, but yeah. here the person in Africa, she say, <coughs> I don't need to pull the training down about snow because it has not snowed here and it will never snow <laughs> and then you yeah 
so so yeah so this is uh, this is some of the, the the qualities that we would bring to the table for an hr department is there for being around and and setting up the system has there been anybody that used you that like kind of surprised you is there one that like jumps out at you that like well i never thought someone would use it for that like something unique that kind of stands out that, that grabs your eye um yeah, I think actually I would mention the applied information in the U.S. again, because they uh, they got inspired by the, the 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 VP of product development. He bought a new coffee machine and he got this manual and he thought, no, 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 I'm never going to read that. There must be someone. And then he found the videos that showed him how to do the different operations you need to do. Right. And he said, that's what I want for our system as well. And then he found us. Yeah. And they created the content pretty fast. They did stuff. They do loads of channels and everything. And then we started discussing a lot about, you know, inviting people to the different trainings. We have this city, let's say Fort Lauderdale. So we have 1,500 people who need to be trained, blah, blah, blah. And then there's some problems with the mail service. And, oh, this address has been blocked by Google. Okay, why is Google? You know, and then suddenly they didn't. Then there was an there was a question from the system administrator or, uh, at at their at their com, at the company, and um, and he asked some question and I you know I answered yeah. them in the support as I normally do, and then suddenly we found out that they had changed everything, so now they put out most of that course content publicly, so you can access it without registration or anything, and then they did the smart thing. And the smart thing was making the IMSA, I think it's called, which is the US Association of Traffic mm. Engineers or something like that. They made them give accreditation. So if you got a certificate for one or more of the courses, you got 15, 30, or 60 minutes of accreditation for your continued education. Uh, and now, you see, they yeah. turned it around. So now people, they take the trainer anonymously and then they pass the test and then they get their certificate on the screen where it say anonymous took this but it says below that if i get registered i get 30 minutes of credit and then they could type in their email or their cell phone number create an account and then the certificate would have their name and they could download it and they were happy wow that, that, that was it. really unique yeah that is it was like when we saw it and we presented it to many other customers because you know and then we're going back to the cost question yeah because if you're saying that i put most of my content out for free you don't pay yeah that's right okay so i pay when he signs up yes okay but what can i make him inactive so he doesn't pay so he doesn't cost after that yeah you just select all the put them active blah 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 and you'll see the go from 100 to 80 or from 80 to 20. Mm -hmm. okay so i don't really pay for them no, but you went a little above. So you pay for 100 fixed. You were 115. So we'll charge you for the 15 extra in addition to your standard subscription rate. But they say that's fine. So I got lots of people trained without, they don't have any questions about this anymore because they just turned it around. That was like, yeah, genius. <laughs> it is pretty smart. I love it. Christian, we, this is, I'm fascinated by it. I, I, I've looked at the, all the videos. I've played with it a little bit. 
but it can go in so many directions. I, I'm, I'm really fascinated by the idea of behavior and linguistics and the way in which video and language are working together to change our behavior. I, I think it's fascinating. I think what you guys are doing is you and the entire team, your, your wife and you and everybody that's working on it, I think they're doing a great service to all of us by helping democratize education. It's really awesome. And I'm, I'm really thankful that I get to speak to you. And I hope that in the future we can have more conversations. But before I let you go, where can people find you? What do you have coming up and what are you excited about? Yeah, they can find us on the internet. We believe in people should try it out. So we have a, we have a free trial and you can you know sign up, try it out. And most people find it easy to use and then we can take it from there. That's, that's one thing. So you call you. And we actually made a video that will explain how to pronounce Ukwalio and where it comes from. That tends to be that tends to be one of the questions. So even though that the name is not so easy, we have like Ukwalio and then video for learning. I think that's uh, that's one of the points. So what we're working on right now is uh, updating the user experience for the end user, because we we can see that the admin users thing. Of course, it should be easy, not too hard to use, et cetera, and all that stuff. But the end user really is the breaking point when you want to expand this a lot. So we're working on, on improving that experience, simplifying it a little uh, and making it available there. Then we will also add some integrations to more of these, uh, a better integration to these uh, video uh, AI generative text to video uh, platforms, because we, we believe that Eventually, our customers will also go there. Yeah. And oh, I think we'll add maybe a video meeting automatically. So you can set up a meeting when you have like, you set up a schedule 10 a.m. tomorrow. I will be around for questions. And then they can, when they're done, we can pull that recording in and attach it to the course. So it's, you know, part of the story. And I think my boss would like us to put in something that is AI based. And this is, and this is where we will put in what we called uh, deep search in videos, so that when you are uploading a video, we will do the classic necessary transcoding into formats that can stream to different devices depending on your screen size and your current bandwidth, mm -hmm. uh, etc. And additionally, we will then do a AI analysis of the video that will pull out the transcript which is relatively easy but also tokenize any text that are being shown on the screen and mm -hmm. thirdly based on the video come up with what are the topics you're talking about <coughs> wow that's uh, that's uh, that's next and, and to be honest that's due to some of the advances that microsoft have done in their azure video indexer it was mm. horrible two years ago but now it actually starts making some stuff that is good and that means that you know you upload your video, we do the transcoding, it's out relatively fast. And then if you paid for it, or if you then we need to find out how to do the pricing of that, then we will do the deep search into your video. And when it's done, you'll get a notification. Hey George, we have now analyzed it. Please go in and check it. So you open the the editor and it says a couple of stuff. And you say, Yeah, this is good, this is good. And then you transfer the found topics to your tags, maybe. Or you say, I'll take the transcript and paste it in so it can be searched in the in the regular search and everything. This is, uh, I think this is something you'll see, maybe not by the end of this year, but very soon in, in, in 24. Yeah, it's, I think it's just scratching the surface too. I think with so many different people in the creator economy, in the way in which the world is moving, 
I think that there's probably ways to use it we haven't even thought of yet. Oh yeah, definitely, right? definitely. It's, so it's exciting. This is it. I I think it's been a pleasure talking here, and and, and, yes. and like I told you, it, it, you know, time flies, and I it know. was really good uh, to 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 be able to put in a little more context because very often you know it's a short one liner, two liners on LinkedIn or wherever you post your stuff, but here having the time and also some of the challenges and the questions about how, why, and what that uh, it's not every day. So thank yeah. you very much for that. And thanks of for having course. me here. The pleasure is all mine. I'm, I'm truly thankful to get to learn and understand. And I am speaking to some of the most creative people on the planet right now, and it blows my mind. I'm truly thankful for that. Like I see what's happening and I know that my listeners see it and they're appreciative of it. So everybody that's listening, go down to the show notes, Go reach out to Christian. Go tap in the box, and he'll he'll reach right back to you. It's just a you're talking right to the man here. So yeah, feel I free. Appreciate I'm it. here. Thank you very much. Of it's course, have a, a fantastic pleasure. afternoon. It's afternoon. You know, it's only eleven o'clock, so I'll have lunch in an hour or so. But I fantastic. will be looking for the next coffee. It's not very often that I sit here for two hours without having a coffee know. in the morning. <laughs> okay, so, my friend. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you very much. Yep. Hang on one second briefly. I'm going to hang up with the people, but there's sure. a little bit more I want to tell you before. Ladies and gentlemen, have a beautiful day. I hope the birds are singing, the sun is shining, the wind is at your back. That's all we got. Aloha. All right. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way. I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment... Go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.